Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. It's Wednesday, July the 15th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Just before we start, I wanted to mention that this evening I'm going to be joined by Pat Leahy, Harry McGee and Jennifer Bray for a special Inside Politics discussion as part of the Irish Times' Summer Nights Festival of Ideas, which is running all this week. And if you'd like not just to hear us, but to see us all in glorious Technicolor, just go to irishtimes.com slash summernightsfestival. And uh, given events this week on the domestic front, we are going to have plenty to talk about. But today we are going to look across the Atlantic to the US presidential election, and I'm joined by our, our Washington Correspondent Suzanne Lynch and by Fintan O'Toole. Suzanne, I'm looking right now at the 538.com website and the aggregate of recent opinion polls there, and they really don't look good for Donald Trump. 538 um, uses, and it doesn't use this word lightly, the L word, landslide for Biden. Yeah, the opinion polls are definitely trending towards a big victory for Joe Biden uh, at this point in the cycle. So what we're seeing is about a, uh, up to a 10 point lead. Uh, by Joe Biden, both nationally, but also crucially in some swing states. Now, not as big of a lead as that, but a a pretty comfortable lead in some of the swing states. Obviously, here it's all about the Electoral College. It's not about the popular vote. Um, And as you say there, um, it does seem to suggest that uh, at this point in the cycle, Joe Biden is well ahead compared to other victors in previous election cycles. Um, Now, of course, Hugh, the issue is that we are still four months out from election. So I think there is no doubt that if the election was held tomorrow, Joe Biden would win. But it's not being held tomorrow. It's four months away. A lot can happen. A lot can change. Political dynamics and support levels can change. Um, But look, it is no doubt that this is a very bad uh, vista for Donald Trump at the moment. So just to set that scene there, the overall national figure, which, as you say, is not the one that uh, I think we all learned that the last time out as well, is not the one we should always be looking at. But it is large. It's very large. It's almost 10 percent, hovers between 9 and 10 percent. And I think what's just as important is it's kind of steady. It's been like this now for six weeks or, or up to two months, um, really, since the, the pandemic really started going wrong in the United States from, from Trump's point of view in particular. And then in those swing states, the famous Rust Belt states, which swung it for Trump um, four years ago in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania. That lead is a little bit smaller, more around the six, seven, eight mark, but that's still that's still a very comfortable lead in those states. It is. Um, so looking at margins of error, for example, um, in some of those swing states, yes, Donald Trump could you know turn that around. But no, overall, it, it's a bad picture. Also states, um, Rust Belt states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. But there's also states like Florida. That's obviously been a long time swing state. People remember the Gore versus Bush um, campaign near 20 years ago now. Uh, Florida's got a huge number of electoral college votes. It's a massive state. And uh, Donald Trump, I think, is looking at that one. He's trying to be competitive there. Uh, and even still, it's showing him under pressure in Florida. Uh, but look, I, in the midterm elections, for example, there was uh, in Florida, there was a big battle between the Democratic candidate for governor and the Republican uh, candidate 
candidate, the Republican candidate did win by the skin of his teeth. So even though there's a spring in the step uh, for Democrats, at the end of the day in 2018, Democrats who thought they might win in these swing states didn't. Stacey Abrams in Georgia was going for the governor's race. She did not win. Uh, Beto O'Rourke in Texas was taking on Ted Cruz, a Republican. It looked very strongly, I was down there myself, that he was going to win. He didn't win. So there, I think there is a fear of Democrats. They might be nearly there, uh, but whether they will actually get it over the line on election day is another matter. And Fintan, that's very much the, the fear on the Democrat or, and anti-Trump side, because not all anti-Trump um, people these days are Democrats. There's a quite a strong Republican movement with organisations like the Lincoln Project campaigning directly against Trump. But the fear is, isn't it, is that everybody thought Trump was going to lose in 2016 and he didn't. So the fear is that something similar will happen this time. Yeah, you know, um, it's not just generals that always fight the last war. I mean, um, politicians and political campaigners always refight the last campaign. And of course, uh, the very fact that uh, so much of the orthodox mainstream, whatever you want to call it, was was out of kilter with what was really going on in that election means that they're swinging the other way this time, I suppose. There is that terror that even though you're looking at all of these figures that Suzanne has outlined, you know, that, that maybe it's not real. It seems to me that there's some justification for concern simply on the basis that nobody really knows what the situation is going to be, particularly how the pandemic is, is going to unfold and how that's going to impact on the elections themselves. The astonishing thing to bear in mind is that the pandemic is still out of control, you know. I mean, this is just breathtaking. Um, in 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 some states, it's still getting worse. In Florida, for example, I think yesterday Florida recorded the highest number of of, of deaths that it's reached so far. Uh, and obviously, this this in general, one would think, works against Trump. Um, but Trump has always backed himself as someone like a lot of these populist leaders who who thrives in chaos and and. His, his last hope, I think, is that the worse things get, the more chaotic it gets, the more it actually resembles, ironically, the carnage that he, um, he said was already in existence under Obama. <laughs> you know, it doesn't look like it now. But the more it resembles that, in, in one way, the more at home Trump will feel. Right? He'll, he will feel at home running as the underdog, running in a situation of, 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 of chaos, uh, of, of mass unemployment, of, of the uh, further economic damage that's going to be done when these states you know, open up and have to close down again and all that kind of stuff. The, the, there's a way in which that sort of plays into Trump. I still don't think he has any huge chance of winning, uh, but, but you think psychologically, actually, um, you know, that he's, he, he's more comfortable. You have to remember this, this is someone who has never been a president. You know, he, he hasn't really occupied the the position of the presidency in any meaningful way. He's just conduct, you know, c- continued to conduct a campaign and continued to, to operate as a you know, thoroughly divisive figure. You know, that's, that's what, what he's done. He's gone against all the instincts of anybody else who's ever held the office in that regard. Hasn't even pretended that he's interested in bringing the country together. Um, so, so he will be in his element in, in that sense. But it's still very hard to see how, when you look at the polls, when you look at, in particular, some of the consistencies. I mean, one of the absolutely consistent things through the midterm elections and all the polls since is that white suburban women 
um, are, are have, have just they've made up their mind about Trump. You know, there's not going back there. Um, and it's it's for all the reasons that they should have been aware of in the first place. But Trump's demeanor, Trump's Trump's divisiveness, Trump's bitterness, I think, um, has 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 gone into the consciousness of kind of key parts of the electorate. And it's very hard to see that they're going to change at this point. I mean, Suzanne, it's interesting, isn't it, what Finton says there. I mean, that those kind of elements which he talked about, the ones which are turning off middle-class, white suburban women, are, are sort of the performative elements, I suppose, of the Trump presidency, rather than the things which are actually changes in policy or ideology or anything like that. But people always said in the first three years of this presidency that a big question remained as to how would Trump react when faced with an actual real crisis? And we've now seen that haven't we? And I, I think another number, I think, is that the disapproval rate of, of his handling of the pandemic is at 67%, which is a, a really, a really, really bad figure, much worse than his overall disapproval rate. Yeah, I think what Finton said there about fighting the last battle is key with Donald Trump. He is now fighting the election with the same playbook he used in 2016, except this time he's been president for three years. And it's almost like he doesn't realise that. So when he is lashing out at other things, he doesn't realise, well, I am the person supposed to be the commander in chief. I am the person in the White House and the book stops with me. So actually, and to, and to bring it up, the, the Mary Trump book, which I read uh, by Donald Trump's niece, one of the really interesting points she makes in that book is how throughout his entire career, he obviously blamed everybody else for his problems. When he got into the debt and when he didn't pay other people, it was never his problem. And that uh, that trick, if you like, that he managed to ride that out by developing a very sophisticated persona on TV. Um, so people kind of didn't really believe that he wasn't a successful businessman. Just the hype won them over. So he's he's winging that again. He's hoping that's going to bring him through. Except, as you as you point out, now there is actually a crisis uh, and people are, are dying. Um, but on his... So the sense of leadership is what he's lacking. He It's like he doesn't really want to lead or he doesn't know how to lead. And that's what you need in a crisis like this. So we've seen that at other times in American history. We saw it after 9-11 with Rudy Giuliani in his, his previous role as mayor of New York really took up that leadership mantle. We see Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who, by the way, has not particularly done a great job. New York had the highest deaths in the country. And yet he got out there in front of the press every day held a press conference, sounded like he was dealing with people, trying to, to make the situation better. And people, Americans like that in this country. Whereas what we're getting from Donald Trump is night after night blaming somebody else and pretending there's nothing to see here. It's like it's an annoying problem he wants to swat away and he's desperately hoping it, it will go away and it won't. In saying that, you know, to get back to where we're still four months away, it's quite likely that this pandemic may have calmed down in a couple of months, you know, by September and October, the way we're in now, which is extraordinary in a lot of these, by the way, Republican um, controlled states, uh, could have changed. So, you know, we're really, it feels like in the eye of the storm at the moment, um, maybe that will change uh, when it comes up to November. But again, we spoke about this before, this idea of lack of empathy by Donald Trump when people are dying. This is the kind of stuff that Joe Biden is, is great at. This is his big calling card. He, he's good on empathy. He's good on bringing the country together. So this is playing to his strengths at the same time as playing to Trump's weaknesses. But also, Finton, uh, I mean, I've seen a couple of critics, including on the right in American politics, suggest that, you know, Trump is missing an opportunity here. Maybe he's not, well, in fact, I think he's probably not capable of grasping this opportunity. One of the things that brought him um, to the Republican nomination before he won the presidency was 
that he gestured towards a different type of economic policy than the than the conservative fiscal orthodoxy of traditional Republicans, and that he was going to commit to you know investment in infrastructure, you know bringing jobs back to America. In a way, a crisis like this should should be a moment for him to do something like that. But he, in fact, seems to see a lot of resistance from within his own Republican Party. There's still that huge divergence between the the Mitch McConnell wing and what Trump stands for. And as we know, after three and a half years, Trump doesn't seem to have the staying power to actually implement any real policies of that sort. I think that's the absolutely key point here, isn't it? You know, that that, um, he's just not capable of it. If you stand back from it, uh, you know, Trump had a huge opportunity when he got elected. Yes, he was unpopular in the sense that he'd lost the popular vote, but he, you know, he was an insurgent who had come in, who had, who had done this kind of extraordinary hostile takeover of, of the Republican Party, um, who, who had beaten the, the Clinton machine. Um, and w- what, what did people know about him? Like, what, what, what was his shtick? Well, obviously it was the wall and it was Muslims, but also it was, I'm a builder. I get stuff done. You know, I'm a developer. He spoke a lot during the election campaign in 2016 about the crumbling American infrastructure, you know, which Suzanne or anybody else who spent time in the States, it's just flabbergasted where you think you're in the richest country in the world, you know, and I mean, even in the big cities, you know, you've potholes in, 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 in the sidewalks and in the streets. You go outside the big cities. I mean, the infrastructure is... Dreadful, absolutely dreadful, whether it's trains, bridges, you know, public buildings, you know, it's, it's just breathtaking. And the obvious thing that you would have thought Trump would have done would be in his first hundred days announce a major infrastructural project in each of the 50 states. Right. The Democrats couldn't have opposed him. Right. Because they want to get elected in those states. Uh, you, you know, he, he could have had this ready to go as a, as a huge, big thing. We're getting America back to work, all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it would have appealed in particular to his base, you know, to the sort of um, the, 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 the manual laborer, you know, the, the, the idea of the strong American man, you know, all that sort of macho stuff would have, would have, would have worked as well. So if he couldn't do that then, he, he's just it, it just tells you that he's not capable and i think it's exactly as as as, as your question implies you know that it's it, he, he just doesn't have the staying power he doesn't have the the capacity the mental capacity to actually engage with the work that it takes to get that kind of thing uh, even envisaged in any sort of real way never mind done uh, so I think it's it's far too late for him actually to to, um, to 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 exploit any of that kind of stuff. I think that that moment for him has 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 long gone. What he's left with is you know what 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 does he know right? It's, so so the only thing he can he can go back to is the stuff that he that he knows, and and that's um, it's it's nativism and authoritarianism. So you'll have the nativist white supremacist stuff is 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 obviously going to be ramped up, you know, because it's what he's got left, uh, and the authoritarian stuff which goes with it, right? So the Black Lives Matter, Law and Order, um, the requirement uh, because of the anarchist threat from Black Lives Matter for extreme measures, um, and and remember this this might sound kind of hysterical, but this is the reality. This is this is what we're actually seeing. So William Barr, who's the Attorney General, who's who's a key figure, he's now the key enabler of Trump. But, but Barr, you know, very explicitly said during the um, the, the protests in in Washington that he was designating 
uh, and instructing um, all of the district offices of the FBI to apply anti-terrorism legislation to what's called Antifa. Right? But Antifa doesn't exist. It's just a name for, for protesters you don't like. So the the intellectual and legal um, precedents have been created, really, for you know using anti-terrorism um, uh, laws to 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 try to suppress dissent, to try to provoke, as it were, more disorder. So so uh, oddly enough, if you were talking about anybody else, the the last gamble here would be to try to calm things down, get 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 things under control. Trump is incapable of doing that. So, so I think he'll go back to the instinct, which is, is just to say, actually, the more chaos I can create, the better. The more hatred I can stir up, the more paranoia I can create uh, about, it, it seems to have moved on somewhat from, from migration, oddly enough, at the moment, because there aren't big numbers of migrants coming in. Uh, but it's, it's on to, you know, the Black Lives Matter, terrorists, anarchists, it'll be all that kind of stuff. Now, the interesting thing and this very striking thing is that 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 so far that hasn't worked for him. Uh, you know, Trump thought he could do a Richard Nixon. Nixon kind of rode in in 1968, which is a, a parallel year in many people's minds, uh, rode into office on law and order very much, you know. Uh, and Trump has been trying to do that. He's been using Nixonian phrases like the silent majority and, and so on. What's really remarkable and, and heartening is that it just hasn't worked. You know, you look at poll after poll has shown that most people think, by and large, the Black Lives Matter protests are, are justified. Um, and, and so Trump hasn't really been able to, to play this thing very well so far. But what else has he got at this stage? You know, he, he's, 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 he's 10 points down to, to an old man in a mask in a basement. <laughs> you know? I mean, what, what, what else does he have? Um, and, and I think it's going to be nasty because that's that's the the only way that he knows how to play this now. Yeah, I want to come to that old man in the basement in a moment, Suzanne. But just in relation to to what Fintan's saying there, I mean, I'm a little surprised that there's been no purchase at all out of this Antifa, Black Lives Matter, anarchist type of a type of a thing. It does play to the you know to the kind of core Trump songbook, and the fact that. There's a surprising level of support for Black Lives Matter and many of its uh, many of its demands. Um, it does surprise me, um, and it's not 1968. I mean, it's not 1968 also because there aren't major political figures being assassinated and cities aren't actually burning to the ground as they did in 1968. So, so it is a different time and a different set of context. But still, I would have thought that Trump's gut instinct, which, as we know, can be pretty good, you know, might have been proved more true than has been the case so far in terms of his support for, for his position on that. Well, I suppose number one is, you know, this is what we're seeing in the polls and are we underestimating the support that's out there for his position? And, and your point, you know, may, may prove that. But, but taking the polls at, at face value, I think that there has been a, a huge shift in this country in the last two or three years. Like, look at the Confederate statues. In Richmond, Virginia, there is a, a huge avenue full of Confederate statues and they are now being taken down. If this had happened, it's, it's just a few hours from Charlottesville, three years ago, well, we saw what happened in Charlottesville. I think there's been a change and, and change can happen in a society quite quickly. Look at Me Too. The Me Too movement happened since Donald Trump was elected to the point that it would have been a big issue for Hillary Clinton uh, in 2016. So 
the, look how, how much things have changed in that time about the, the Me Too movement. It didn't exist to the same extent in 2016 at all. And I think something similar is happening on the issue of race and Confederate statues and the legacy of the Confederacy in this country. Um, Mississippi, without any fanfare, has just changed its flag. There were very few fl- protests. I think people in the country are beginning to realise, you know, we have to move on from this. We have to change. And it may well have been the, the death, the killing of George Floyd that was captured so uh, visually and viscerally for people. But I think there has been a, a moment of, of change on this issue in the United States. And I think one indication that suggests that Donald Trump is not reading this right, that he is not reading the fact that there's a change, is his first comeback rally, as I call it, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Only It was only a third full. Everyone saw the pictures of the empty seats. And of course, some of that was to do with people um, erroneously uh, filling out uh, reply forms for uh, to attend. But also, I think he misread his base. Most of his supporters who were older didn't want to go to the rally. They want to be at home. They're scared of coronavirus. And I think he is misreading a big part of his of his base there. And all reports suggest that his decision to cancel the rally in New Hampshire last weekend um, was because a worry of low attendance numbers. So somebody is, is out of sync here. And I think it's Trump and Trump's campaign. His people are telling him what, what he wants to hear. I don't think there is the same level of enthusiasm around him than there was in 2016. And it's a very simplistic trite point. But in a way, I think people gave him a chance in 2016 and said, right, you see if you can be the president. And now they're realising, you know what, he's not very good at this. He's not able to do it. He's not able to lead. He hasn't really done much. You know, we gave him a chance. We still kind of like him. You know, he shakes things up, but no, we're ready to move on. We want to save pair hands. I think that's what it comes down to. He messed it up. He didn't really achieve much. Arguably, the only thing, and it still is not finished, that he did that I think was anyway positive, was taking on China by trade. And one of the reasons he succeeded in that is that Democrats in Congress um, bought into that and it still isn't finished. But I think that's what's happening. I think people, the supporters, gave him um, a chance. He, he, he didn't run with it. He, he didn't do the job. Um, and now he seems increasingly desperate, I think, in, the, in his rhetoric, which we saw in this White House press conference, uh, for example, on Tuesday night. Vincent, I want to talk about the old man in the basement. One thing Donald Trump was right about, I think, was that last year he turned his attention to how he could get some dirt on Joe Biden through the activities of his of his son, Hunter, in Ukraine. And of course, that led to, to Trump's impeachment uh, uh, in the House of Representatives earlier this year. Six or seven weeks ago, Joe Biden was being criticised left, right and centre for hiding in his basement and not coming out. Now he's being praised for hiding in his basement and not coming out very much at all. It is seen as the cleverest, most intelligent strategy. Let Trump hang himself, uh, issue an edict from time to time, give a speech here and there. Don't go campaigning around the country because of the pandemic. It kind of suits him perfectly and he has played it very well, to be fair, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think we've said this before, but, you know, the the basic reality of this is that Donald Trump is the Democratic candidate as well as the Republican candidate. You know, this is not fundamentally about Joe Biden. (laughs) It's about whoever is not Donald Trump. And in that, the greatest asset that the Democrats have is is Trump himself. Um, Both because every time Trump opens his mouth, he looks increasingly, as Suzanne was saying, desperate, um, incoherent, um, uh, completely lacking in empathy, Entirely unable to articulate anything about this, 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 the pandemic and this, this, this moment in American history, um, and because at the same time, of course, the the more 
the more people see of Trump, the more those who are who are who are who don't like him are just reminded of the need to vote him out of office. You know, so a very good example of this was 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 Trump's ubiquity during the early stage of the pandemic. You know, where he was doing these nightly so-called press conferences, but were really kind of election rallies. Um, on live TV, and and you know sometimes this was going on for an hour and a half, you know whatever, and and a lot of Democrats I think were thinking this is this is outrageous, this is terrible, this this you know our opponent is being given free national television, uh, you know at each night of the week, and people are tuning in, people were tuning in, and actually of course what happened was that Trump had to stop the stop those press conferences because they were just disastrous, you know. The, the more rope he had, the more adept he was at hanging himself, you know, and, and, and people would remember him going on about um, injecting disinfectant or shining, you know, bright lights up your fundaments to, 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 um, to, to combat the virus, you know. So, so, so yes, I mean, the, the, you know, Biden's main appeal is that he's not Donald Trump. And, and I think, I think he, to be fair to him, he seems to have grasped at himself. So, one of the interesting things about Biden psychologically, I think, is that he's the opposite of Trump in in one specific way, which is that tr- Trump is a narcissist, and and Biden has a kind of strange humility to him. You know, <laughs> now th- th- this is very paradoxical. N- nobody who keeps running for president all his life, you know, c- can really be called humble. But he's he's sort of willing to work with anybody and do anything and find his way around whatever um, corners he has to you know to, j- just to navigate his way towards power. That's 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 his mentality. It's a completely different sort of mentality to 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 Trump's. So he's not that bothered about asserting himself. You know, he's he's much more interested in you know in sort of getting into people's good graces and staying there. If you remember seeing those extraordinary images when <laughs> Biden was vice president of him, standing behind Obama, you know, Obama's sitting down and, and you see Biden standing behind him, massaging the boss's shoulders, you know, as a, as a gesture of subordination. You, you couldn't really think of anything more, more, more open, you know, um, and of course, more opposite to what you could imagine Trump doing. Uh, and that, that that sort of helps him in this, I think, that 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 he's he sort of understands that what he has to do at the moment is 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 just keeping people's good graces. Um, I think he understands that he's not going to have any effect at all on Trump's base. You know, like the like objectively, the most astonishing thing at the moment, right, is that forty percent of Americans still approve of the job that. <laughs> that that Trump is doing as president. I mean, that, that that in itself is utterly remarkable and tells us what a weird time we're in and how tribal this has become and how you know Trump Trump's base is 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 animated not not by any sense of what he does or doesn't do, but simply by by him being Trump and by the statement that makes about themselves and their own ethnic identity and their own white identity in particular. And I think. Biden and the people around him know that, so they know there's, there's no point really now in 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 trying to do what maybe Biden's instinct would would have been before, which is, you know, look for the middle ground, look for the middle way, you know, try to to persuade lots of lots of Trump voters that he's 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 more on their side than Trump is. That that kind of politicking, that kind of campaigning is 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 really pretty pointless. Um, what what he needs to do is is reassure. 
that sort of key group of people in the middle, like those suburban women who have been, you know, consistently shifting away from Trump, just reassure them that everything is going to be okay. You know, that the Trump thing will be over, that America will will get back to being America. And he has to do that while obviously keeping on board crucially, all the people who don't want America to keep on being America, who, you know, who, who want pretty radical change in relation to healthcare and education and, and, and you know, the, the, the jobs market and lots of other things that people really want, want change about. But I don't think it's actually all that difficult for Biden in these circumstances to do that. But Fintan, can I just, just follow up on the one thing on that? Do you think that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders would be enjoying a similar lead at the moment? Were they the nominee? Yeah, I actually do. You know, <laughs> I, I could be completely wrong about that, but I, I actually think it's possible that Sanders would have a would have a larger lead. You know, uh, I think the calculation with, with 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 Sanders is would Sanders win the Senate? You know, and and Suzanne mentioned this already, but but in a way, the biggest question is is no longer is Trump going to be reelected? He, he's not. Biggest question is: Are the Democrats going to win the Senate? Um, remember, like just, just you know, right at the moment, I think, um, and Suzanne, I know more about Snyder, but I mean, R- Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in hospital, right? Um, what happens if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies uh, between now and 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 the election? Um, you know, tr- Trump will try to um, his, his you know, one of his last appeals will be. To conservatives, particularly to religious conservatives, I've got another go. You know, I can I can reappoint another, and he'll 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 come up with a name. He'll come up with a figure. You know, who is solidly far far right religious conservative, and say I'm going to appoint this person to the Supreme Court. And of course, that then depends completely on the Senate. Um, so I I imagine, and uh, you know, Suzanne will know more about this than I do, but I, I imagine. This is going to be an unusual election in that people will not just be thinking about the presidency, they'll be thinking about how the presidential race plays into the senatorial races in very particular places. Like Maine, for example, where Susan Collins, ironically one of the few remaining members of that endangered species of moderate Republicans, for example, is is very much under threat. What happens there? You know, the, the, all of those kinds of things. Texas could be in play. There's, there's all sorts of odd Senate seats that, that could be in play. But I think this is where the Bernie factor uh, is, is. It's arguable that Biden is more likely to deliver the Senate by being more inoffensive and less controversial than than Sanders is. But again, this this completely depends on the issue that's always at the absolute heart of these American elections, which is turnout. Trump will be doing huge amounts of voter suppression. Um, he will have all the, the Republican governors, they're, they're going to be working on this to try to, you know, basically steal the election by by stopping people voting. And 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 so the critical question for, for Biden is, yes, he needs to stay very calm and, you know, grandfatherly and all the rest of it. But he needs to be radical enough to enthuse people, you know, to get them out there. Um, and and I, th- I think that's that's where America's future is going to be decided. It's not just whether Biden wins the presidency, but also whether whether the Democrats win 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 the Senate. Absolutely. And and Suzanne, uh, I, I've seen some Democratic strategists starting to make noises about the fact that the Democrats need to push on hard. That there's a there's a historic opportunity for them in this election in November, um, both I think to kind of to go for that landslide, which some people are saying is possible, and and get rid of Trumpism 
and everything that Trump represents to to kind of disgrace it for a generation, I suppose. But on the other hand, to really make gains in the Senate, which nobody thought they could make even maybe 12 months ago and, you know, in, in states where traditionally, you know, they, they weren't expected to make those gains. Is that where the focus maybe is turning? Is the, the, the contest between the two parties rather than the contest between the two uh, pres- presidential nominees? As Fintan said, maybe it should be. I mean, that's maybe the way people should vote in this country because, you know, the Senate has such an impact in the judiciary. And look, look what happened with Donald Trump. He managed to uh, secure two Supreme Court uh, nominations. You know, the people who sat it out, the, the middle ground people who didn't particularly like Hillary Clinton, who decided not to vote, they probably really did not think through, well, if we, you know, if Clinton is not, look how it would have been different if Clinton had been elected to the Supreme Court. So, you know, people in this country, are, I suppose, should uh, think that way. But on, on the issue of, of turnout, and Fintan's absolutely right, this was a very interesting debate in the early days of the primary, because the, the more left wing wing of the party made the argument rightly that they were more energised. That, you know, if you voted for somebody a bit more radical and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, you know, you were going to, there's going to be energy around that. You're going to have enthusiasm and that's going to translate in, in the polls, in the, in the turnout. Um, so, but what happened then with Bernie Sanders in February and March, when after a very strong start in the primary, he began to falter, was it actually the youth vote that got behind Bernie Sanders? They were not turning up in the same numbers as the older voters do. And, and that's obviously a trend around the world. So it's, it's pretty disheartening. So I do think there is a challenge for the Democratic Party to bring that left wing element with it, because this defined and damaged the election for Democrats in 2016. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, so they're trying, they're, they're aware of this. Bernie Sanders has, has kind of softened a bit, if you like. He's appeared with, with Joe Biden, putting aside, of course, the incredible irony of two white men in their late 70s that are symbolising the Democratic Party. Um, but there is behind the scenes a lot of conversations about trying to bring people together within the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden, because essentially he has no choice, has moved to the left on a lot of issues. Um, he is more to the left than, say, Hillary Clinton on certain issues. So, you know, I think Joe Biden can see that, that, that he's not popular among the younger voters, that he doesn't represent the future, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that is a, a big concern for Democrats, that they have to keep the enthusiasm levels. Because I think Fintan is right. Joe Biden's main calling card here is that he's not Donald Trump. You know, I am not saying that Joe Biden is this fantastic candidate. I'm just saying that I think he kind of suits the moment when people just want the grandfather figure, somebody who can steady the ship, somebody with experience. It, there's no way Joe Biden will be running if Donald Trump was not in office. Uh, but in saying that, in terms of the future of the party and, you know, in terms of getting turnout out across the country for the Senate races, yeah, I think uh, it, it's very important there. And some of the Senate races to look at, like Colorado, Montana, Steve Bullock. Montana would be pretty conservative. Um, he's seen as maybe having a chance uh, there. And of course, also, it, the numbers are very tight in the Senate. But if the Democrats get in, well, then they need to win fewer seats because their vice president will have a casting vote in the Senate. So there's kind of a double uh, whammy there. If they win, it's, it's going to improve their numbers in the Senate. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be an important thing to look for in November. But the reality of the Senate, isn't it, is that in states which are, you know, red or purplish, um, candidates need to be more moderate than the, you know, the progressive wing, the the AOC, Bernie Sanders um, wing of the Democratic Party. And that's probably going to store up, you know, you know, divisions or conflicts of some sort, you know, po- post the election. The 2018 election was won on the basis really of of centrist candidates winning Republican seats in congressional districts across the country. 
there's some version of that, should the Democrats get the majority, will be the same in the Senate, won't it? Yeah, and you're right. This is a big debate, you know, as I say, should you go moderate or, or, or more left-wing? And you're right, in states like Maine, Colorado, of course, um, the more centrist the presidential candidate, um, the more likely Republic- Democrats are going to win back those seats. And of course, it also deprives Donald Trump of a key election argument, which is if you vote for Joe Biden, you're um, voting for a radical socialist. So obviously the issue for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders if they'd become the candidate is that the Republican Party would have thrown their weight behind this uh, argument. And Donald Trump is trying to, but is falling flat. I mean, the idea that Joe Biden is this radical socialist is just not, as somebody like AOC would tell you, it's just not credible. So um, I think it is depriving him of that key line. But the fact that he keeps saying it all the time uh, is is interesting. It's also, though, happening at state level. Down in Arizona, there's an interesting race there. And um, in the early days of the primary, uh, as soon as Bernie Sanders looked like he was winning, local ads in Arizona were saying, if you vote for the Democratic candidate for Senate, you're voting for Bernie Sanders. So Republicans were really ready to jump on this argument. So yeah, you're absolutely right. The fact that they have chosen Joe Biden, he's Mr. Center Ground and not too radical, is going to help uh, it potentially Democrats win Senate seats in some of these more moderate states like Maine, uh, Montana and Arizona that is increasingly a swing state. And Suzanne, can I ask you if these very bad numbers for Trump continue into into the autumn as we get closer to the election, does that mean that the Republican senators and candidates who are under threat in those states start to publicly decouple themselves from him with a view to saving their own skins? Well, it's interesting because the last few weeks have been pretty quiet, a lot of the Republicans, um, about the late, you know, Trump's uh, response to the coronavirus. They've been careful not to uh, criticise Anthony Fauci, etc. So is there a sense there they're preparing? People are already talking about a post-Trump Republican Party at this point and who's going to maybe run in 2024. But, um, you know, we have to caution. We could be having a very different conversation in two or three months before the election. In Alabama, um, on Tuesday, there was uh, the rate. Jeff Sessions was trying to get back his uh, his old seat there, and um, it he he didn't win uh, the primary. A, a, a Trump guy and a more Trump than Trump uh, candidate won there, and that is again is a reminder of how strong uh, Trump's support is in states uh, like Alabama. Um, so you know some Republicans. It depends what state you're in. Um, so this is what used to be the argument Democrats made to AOC. It's easy, AOC, in your constituency in New York to be as left-wing as you want because you will always get re-elected. It is not easy for me if I'm a Democrat in rural Pennsylvania. I have to be more centre ground or else I'm not going to get in. So each state has got its own political dynamics. Um, but, you know, the Alabama election with Jeff Sessions is an in reminder of that in certain pockets of the country, as Finton mentioned there, Trump still has 40% support. So people are going to be tailor-making their campaign, I think, based on the specific support for Trump or not in their in their constituencies. Finally, Finton, um, I mean, you referred to Trump's kind of Lord of Chaos kind of persona. Lay out a, an alternative and pretty bleak vista, which is that the polls tighten a bit, which is certainly not beyond the bounds of possibility as we move into September, October. They tighten particularly in those key swing states, the three Rust Belt states. They're very tight in Florida and a couple of other states. There's Bigger postal voting than ever before because of the pandemic. The problems that we've seen at the polls already in places like Georgia and Wisconsin are even worse in the teeth of a of a full election. It's an incredibly close call. Uh, there's two or three percentage points in those states between the two candidates. The result is not immediately apparent and there's conflict, courts, 
God knows what happening in the weeks after November the 3rd. That's the bleak scenario. How possible is that? You know, it's certainly not hysterical to be thinking about these things. You know, um, Trump has zero commitment to the rule of law, to the American Constitution, to anything but himself. And this is where you, you go back to Bill Barr, the Attorney General. You know, the the the, the Barr is absolutely determined to enable Trump to set aside constitutional norms and legal norms, uh, and and that's very obvious at this stage. Um, so it's not at all beyond the bounds of possibility uh, that that Trump will will contest the results of the election if it's if it's close, particularly as you say. Once you get down into the nitty-gritty, um, where you still have a lot of states and a lot of areas within states uh, where the simple the infrastructure for elections is still absolutely appalling, um, where the room for argument, you know, the, the hanging chads stuff that happened in, 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 in Florida all those years ago, versions of that can certainly come back. Um, and, of course, Trump has been preparing, you know, one of Trump's constant themes has been that uh, there's massive amounts of electoral fraud. Uh, it's it's a complete lie. Um, of course, this was, I think, one of the issues, wasn't it, on which Twitter finally had to, you know, had to place warnings on Trump's own tweets um, in in terms of basic facts checking. But, uh, of course, it's not about facts. It's about creating, in the minds of his own supporters, the idea uh, that electoral fraud is rampant, as you say, there's going to be a lot more postal voting. Well, he's already been out continually saying uh, postal voting leads to massive fraud. It's, and the Democrats are already out there, um, you know, organizing themselves uh, to, to get you know, vast numbers of fraudulent votes against me. He, he's building up this narrative. Um, so it's, it's ready to go. He has an attorney general um, who will you know, put the legal system behind that, that position he has judges in place, of course, all over the place. Um, and, of course, it, it could end up um, going back to the Supreme Court, you know, and, and and that's where, of course, the Republican majority on the Supreme Court, we know what they'll do, you know. They will, it doesn't matter what the what the evidence is. I mean, they, they exist as a party political arm of power and, and they will do whatever they can to, 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 to ensure a, 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 a Trump win. Uh, now, th- th- so that's that's the possibility. Um, I think the the more likely scenario is that the numbers are such that 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 doesn't fly. And if if it looks like Trump is going to lose big, that's when it gets very interesting, right? Because then that's when you need you know other people who are thinking about their own political careers and their own political power. Uh, and their own interests need to start making um, some kind of plan B, and and do they want to align themselves with a Trumpian attempt at some kind of you know f- effectively a kind of coup which denies the result of the election? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of thinking being done in right wing circles in the Republican Party if these polls continue to be the way they are, if the pandemic continues to rage, if, if because of the pandemic raging, the economy is not able to bounce back in the way it should, if you get into September, for example, you know what, what starts going through those people's minds, 
what starts happening to Republican candidates in tight Senate races. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to play out, I think, in relation to Trump's, um, Trump's support group. Remember, the one thing that Trump has made absolutely clear to every Republican is you're on your own. <laughs> you know? uh, Suzanne mentioned Jeff Sessions, you know. Sessions, who has just been humiliated um, by Trump, Trump used his own base to deny Sessions the Republican nomination to run in Alabama last night. Um, Sessions was the first um, sitting senator to legitimize Trump in 2016. Right? He was the one who came in behind Trump at a time when you know Trump was seen as a kind of extreme lunatic fringe, not serious candidate. And yet, you know, look look what's happened to, to, to Sessions. He's been mocked, humiliated, destroyed by Trump. There's a lesson there um, for the enablers that Trump actually still needs. And the, Trump's policy of one-way loyalty, which is, of course, classically authoritarian, one of the definitions of an, author, an authoritarian system is that, you know, everybody has to be loyal to the leader, but the leader doesn't have to be loyal to anybody else. Th- that is problematic, I think, for Trump in relation to trying to get to a point where he can deny the legitimacy of the election, uh, because that that does require enablers. And the the enablers have to make a calculation. Are are we going to pull this off or are we not? (laughs) Because the stakes are incredibly high. If you don't pull it off, you're in all sorts of very, very deep doo-doo. If a democratic administration takes power after Republicans have, have, have tried to you know, stage some kind of coup, the consequences for those people uh, would be pretty serious. So that really comes down to whether it's a close election or a clear win for Biden, I suppose, because those are the two possibilities we're looking at realistically. Uh, Suzanne, just just briefly, what's the time frame? I know we have the you know the party conventions, which are going to be rather unusual this year. They come up in about a month's time. Uh, we're going to need to hear about a vice presidential candidate. And then there's the debates in September, October. Is that right? That's it. But Hugh, really to stress here, I mean, it's such a strange time in, in Washington. This has been no like no other campaign. So we really should have said that at the outset. I think things have changed. We do not have a candidate out campaigning the way we would in every other election cycle. Um, so it's it's just so different. So we will have the two party conventions in August. Um, the Democratic one is going to be really, really a non-convention, really more or less 100% online. A big battle is, is brewing about the Republicans' plans to have their convention in Jacksonville, northern Florida. Trump already moved it from Charlotte or insisted on it moving from Charlotte to Florida because uh, the governor um, of North Carolina was not comfortable with what they wanted from the convention with the with the coronavirus restrictions. He moved to Jacksonville. And now, of course, we know the numbers in Florida for coronavirus. They're huge. So big questions about that convention. Um, and some Republican senators, I think five or six already, have said they won't even attend. So that's quite interesting what we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, how far does this loyalty go by Republicans in the Senate for Trump? So that's the first, that's the next big focus as is Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, that may change the dynamic of this election a lot, depending on who he picks. Um, he's going to pick a woman, probably a woman of colour. The um, the argument that I mentioned that Trump always uses, which is, you know, Democrats are the party of radical socialists. This might work better with whoever the vice presidential picks. So you could see Trump and the Republican Party, you know, focusing on the vice president uh candidate rather than Biden if they feel that their knocks against Biden are not doing well. And then uh, we've got three debates between uh, the two presidential candidates, which will probably go on as planned, one at the very end of September and two in October. 
And then election day is 3rd of November. And it, just to, to note here, another issue that's going to play into this dynamic, and I absolutely agree with Fintan that it depends on how close I think the contest is, is the fact that because of postal voting, we may not see a result for days or weeks, which is going to be a completely different dynamic for the presidential election. Um, so, you know, watch this space. That is going to, to change things. Again, it depends, I suppose, on how decisive um, the outcome is. But we're seeing this at the moment with uh, elections in New York and uh, around the country, that that's what's happening. You're, you you have to wait a week or so for the election uh, results. So, so that may well be a dynamic in November. Oh God, and we'll be covering it all the way. <laughs> Listen, thanks very much, Suzanne, and thanks, Vincent, for joining us today. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. If you would like to support this podcast and the journalism of the Irish Times, you can go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe to sign up for the introductory price of one euro for the first month. And if you do want to get in touch, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.